Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New King Church. Happy to see you here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to say hello, if we haven't met, please uh, take the time after the service to say hello. I'd love to meet you. So, uh, interesting uh, story here, Tower of Babel, and what I am going to attempt to do this morning is three things. I want to give us an overview of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I just want to run through very briefly so you know where we are and you know how Babel fits in. So, overview, number one. Number two, exposition of the nine verses. Go through each one, one by one, one after the other, nine verses. What do they say? What do they mean? And then, thing number three, application. I want to apply it. What do we learn from this? What's our takeaway? What do we, what do we get today from this story uh, that occurred so many thousand years ago? So that's the plan. Three things. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll go. Uh, Father God, we thank you that we can be here this morning. We ask that, uh, Father, I ask that you would help me to uh, clearly bring this passage uh, out, to teach it clearly, that your Holy Spirit would just give me the strength and the power to, uh, to teach this passage and be uh, faithful to the scriptures. Father, I pray for those that are here that the same Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would, uh, would teach uh, to each person here what they need to hear this morning about this story so many thousand years ago. Help us, Father, as we open the scriptures. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
all scholars agree that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are a unit. And then from 12 on to the end, 50, is another bigger unit. The first 11 chapters, they say, give us the, the primordial history from 12 to 50 is the, the history of the patriarchs, the patriarchal history. So that's where we hear about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Primordial, patriarchal. So 11 forms a unit. And what I want to do is just give you an idea of what the high points of that unit are. Now, unfortunately, we were not able to preach every verse and every chapter. Um, I want to live until the end of our, our preaching through Genesis. And I, if we went every chapter and verse, I know we wouldn't make it, right? So I want to live to see the end of it. So we had to skip a few things, and I apologize for that. We honestly could have done three sermons on Noah and the flood. We just did one, and, and so that's it. Okay, chapter one. Remember chapter one. The six days of creation followed by that little bit in chapter two, the seventh day of rest. What was the story there? By his powerful word, God created the heavens and the earth, the cosmos. He invested it with form and function and purpose. And his crowning achievement was on the sixth day when he created male and female in his own image. And they were given something to do. They were to go out and populate the earth. Right? They were to go out and populate the earth. And then chapter 2 comes around. And Adam, it kind of goes back in time a little bit. It retells a story of the formation of his crowning achievement, male and female. And he says, okay, I've told those guys to go out and have children and populate the earth and subdue it. Now I'm going to enable them to do it. And so Adam names all the animals. And he finds that there's something missing. There's, there's, no, there's no person for him. And God causes a deep sleep to come down. He has some holy anesthesia, and from his side comes a woman. And now he is enabled to go out and do what God wants him to do. You see how God works there. And then things take a turn, don't they, in chapter 3. The serpent comes, and he whispers. God has set up some boundaries. He said, don't eat of this tree. And God whispers, or the the serpent whispers, has God really said? And they take of the fruit. And they cross that boundary. And they eat, and nothing is the same. And they're expelled from Eden. And the curses come. And God, on the east, sets an angel with a sword. And they can't get back in. They can't have access anymore. But out they go towards the east. And what happens? Chapter 4. We see that things get worse, don't we? We see that, that Cain rises up. He gets angry. He lets his emotions take over. And he kills his brother. He slays his brother. And the earth cries out because of the blood of Abel. And it gets worse from there. 
Lamech comes around. We didn't talk about this one. A little further in chapter 4, Lamech. And he is violent to the core. He says, if, if, if Cain's going to be avenged seven times, I'm going to be avenged 70 times, and he kills someone. But then it also says something we often skip over. We don't notice. Lamech takes not one, but two wives. And we read right past that, and we think, oh, yeah, that's the Old Testament. Everybody had a bunch of wives. It's the first time. You see, there was something that was unsatisfied. There was an appetite in Lamech. Not only was he violent and vengeful and angry, there was a sexual appetite, and one woman wasn't enough. There's a hint there. Yeah? That's where it starts. And then what do we have? We have chapter 5 of, of Genesis, which is uh, the descendants of Noah. And then chapter 6 rolls around. And at the beginning of 6 is this weird, strange description of where the sons of men look down and they see the daughters of men. Do you know that section, chapter 6 of Genesis? And it says they, they saw these women, they were desirable, and they took them as their wives, and there were these giants that came. There's a whole story about that. And, and it's a boundary being crossed. These, these angels are crossing a marriage boundary. Do you see that? From heaven down to earth. If you want to know more, talk to Marcel. Marcel knows everything about Genesis 6. He studied it inexhaustibly. We don't have time to go into it. But get this. It was a boundary. And then we have the flood. God looks down. And he sees that the, the thoughts and the intentions of man is evil from the moment he's born. And he says, why did I do this? I'm going to send a flood. And the flood comes and wipes everybody out. And what happens at the end of the flood? God repeats what he wants men to do. I want you to go out and multiply I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to be scattered across the earth. He says it twice in the ninth chapter of Genesis. I repeat it. And then at the end of the story, in, uh, at the end of nine, we have this other weird little section where Noah plants a vineyard. He makes some wine. He drinks it. He gets drunk. And he's laying naked. And his son comes in and sees him. We don't know exactly what happened. But we think there was a sexual boundary that was crossed there again. And a curse is pronounced. So we see this progression of corruption. And then we come to the 10th chapter. The 10th chapter, I could preach a sermon on that. It's called the Table of Nations. The Table of Nations. And in it, 70 nations are named. These are the, these are the, the offspring of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, and it goes through all three sons and gives their offspring. And at the end of it, every time it says the same thing. These were the sons of so-and-so, Ham, by their clans, by their languages, their lands, and their nations. Three times it says that. 
specifically in your mind, think languages. And then we come to chapter 11. And the first verse is, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And you say, wait a minute. (laughs) I thought they were scattered among the earth. I thought that they had a bunch of languages. They all had their own languages. What's going on? You see what's happening in the 11th chapter? God is going back and saying, here's how this all started. He goes back in time a little bit, and he says, let me tell you what's really important about all this. Let me tell you why they're all spread out. This is the same thing that happened in Genesis 2. We sometimes say, oh, there's two versions of the creation. No, there's one version of the creation. God gives the overview, and then in chapter 2, he goes back and says, now this is what I really want you to know. Chapter 10, table of nations, they're all spread out. Now this is what I really want you to know. Chapter 11, the tower. Okay, I'm all done part one. There's my overview. 11 minutes, not very good. Okay, that's pretty good. Thank you, Maggie, I appreciate that. So now let's get into the exposition. Nine verses, two parts. First four verses, man's construction. Verses 5 through 9, God's response, deconstruction. Man says, we're going to build. God says, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not. Construction, deconstruction. Verse 1, whole earth had one language and the same words. Obviously, going back before the table of nations, they had the same language, the same vocabulary. Verse 2, As people migrated from the east, or a better translation is they they migrated eastward, they were headed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So when you read about the east in Genesis, it's not a good thing. It's a hint that they were doing something that probably wasn't a good idea. You see, Adam and Eve were thrown out. The angel is on the east. They headed out east. Later we see Lot. Remember Abraham took his his nephew Lot with him? Lot was insistent upon going to the east. Every time you read about him, he's a little further east, a little further east, and then he's near Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he's in Sodom and Gomorrah. East is not a good thing when you see it in the scriptures in this particular book. Heading east has bad connotations. And they come to the land of Shinar, Mesopotamia, where where Iran is today, for example. They come to that land. And if you look back at the table of nations, you see there's one guy talked about more than anybody else. And if he's talked about more than anybody else, it's significant God wants us to know something. I don't have time to go into it all. His name is Nimrod. Now, why don't we name kids Nimrod anymore, right? Nimrod, what a great name, you Nimrod, right? (laughs) Nimrod. So if you look back at chapter 10, it says, um, Cush fathered Nimrod in verse 8. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. The word means tyrant. Nimrod was a tyrant. He was an uncontrollable, angry man that was a hunter and a tyrant, And it goes on and it says, uh, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Oh, huh, that's where we are in chapter 11. Interesting. And then a little further on, verse 11, uh, Babel in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria. 
interesting thing. From this guy Nimrod came two world powers, Babylon and Assyria, who attacked the northern kingdom and defeated it a, hundred, a, a few hundred years later. Assyria, who attacked the southern kingdom and defeated it of Israel. Babylon, all came from this one guy, all from this guy from the land of Shinar. So again, if we know our history, we start seeing some of these connections. Here's where it began. Here's where it started. Here's the genesis of it, yeah? The beginning. Okay. Um, Land of Shinar settled there. Verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. What's going on? In that area of Mesopotamia, there wasn't stones to build with. So, these people were innovative. They were creative. They came up with new technology. They said, we can, we can burn bricks. We can put them in a kiln. We can use tar for mortar, and we can build with that. We're innovative. We're creative. And that's how they built in that area. To this very day, structures are built there with kiln-fired brick. Okay, where am I? Verse 4. Now here's where the problem begins. Verse 4. Listen carefully. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, number one, and a tower, number two, with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for, myself, for ourselves, number three, lest we be dispersed over all the land. So there's three problems here I want you to see. We're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. And we're going to make a name for ourselves. Three problems. I'm going to come back to them at the end and talk about what each of those mean. A city so we're not dispersed, a tower that reaches to heaven, and a name for ourselves. And now God responds, verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now understand this. If you were reading this in, your, in, the, in the language that it was written, you would see that this is satire. This is parody. God is making fun of those people. And here's what I mean. The people said, we're going to be celestial. We're going to reach to heaven. And God says, well, okay. I guess I got to... <laughs> Come down and see your puny tower. They're not celestial. They're terrestrial. They didn't build much of anything. So God has to come down, and he's making fun of them. It's a satire. It's a parody. And then he says to see what the children of men, the children of dirt, have done. He's saying, who do you guys think you are? I've got to come down. You think you've reached up to me? I've got to come down to see your puny tower. You're no more than children of dirt. That's what man means. You're children of the dust. So the reason that he's using this language is to, to parody that, to satire their efforts, to make fun of it. 
And then we see uh, verse 7, the Lord, uh, uh, verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible. This is only the beginning, God says. The potential for boundary crossing is unlimited. The corrupted human spirit will stop at nothing to cross God's boundaries. God says, I see it, and I better do something about it, because they will stop at nothing. What kind of a day do you and I live in? <laughs> Every boundary is being crossed. So God says, okay, it's time for me to do a little deconstruction. Verse 7, come, let us go down. Notice the same words are used that they were. Again, God is making fun. They say, come, let us build. Come, let us do this. Come, let us make a name. God says, yeah, okay, come. Let's go down, and we're going to put a stop to this. I'm in charge. I don't care what you say. I'm God, and you're not. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language so that they may not understand each other's speech. Here is the Genesis. Here is the beginning of all the languages that happened in chapter 10 of Genesis. Here's where it all happened. God confuses their speech, their fundamental communication. He makes it so they can't work together anymore. Verse 8 So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. The one thing that they didn't want to happen, we don't want to be dispersed. God says, you know what? I think I'm going to have my way in this. You are going to be dispersed. And they left off building the building without common language. You don't have common purpose. You can't work together. The project is stopped. God has his way. Verse 9, therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them from them over the face of all the earth. So we see that God has his way. He sends them out and uh, that's what happens. So the, the original hearers, Remember, um, Moses wrote Genesis. He wasn't around when the events of Genesis happened. He doesn't show up until the next book. So when, when Moses wrote Genesis and the people heard it, what did they think of the story? What would they take away from it? Well, most likely they were getting ready to go. They were on the journey in the wilderness. They were getting ready to go into the promised land. And when you read the description, as they got close to the promised land, it's really fascinating to see the description that's used. Several times in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, it says they came to the cities and the, and the, the cities reached up to heaven. There's a connection there. If they read this story and they saw those cities and were afraid, 
this story would give them hope that they can go in to the promised land and God would go before him and he would take care of this people that had built buildings that reached to heaven. He would give them hope. If they read it later, when they were in the captivity in Babylon, they would have had hope there that even then God could restore them to the promised land. So the original hearers, they probably read this story and they probably had tremendous encouragement and hope. And I hope by the end of this sermon, I can give you encouragement and hope for the God with whom we have to do. Hope and encouragement. As Lucia said, it's the tale of judgment. It's like, what do I take away from this? Bear with me. Bear with me. Okay, so I want to get back to the three problems. Remember, uh, build a city, build a tower that reaches heaven, make a name. What's wrong with that? What's, what's the issue? So they're, they're going to build a city. What's the offense here? Genesis one twenty eight. Since you were created in God's image, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and have dominion. As God's vice regents, as God's representatives, as those created in his image, they are authorized and commanded to spread the kingdom out from Eden. That's what they were told to do. And again, after the flood, Genesis 9, it's repeated twice. Go forth and multiply, fill the earth. So what's the problem with building a city? It's disobedience. Disobedience. They disobeyed God's clear word to them. This is what I want you to do. This is the purpose that I've given you. Spread the kingdom, go out. I want you to be across the whole earth. They said, no, we don't want to be dispersed. We're going to build a kingdom. You see, that's how it begins. The serpent says to Eve, has God really said? And we begin to question God's word. We begin to wonder, oh my word, that stuff written so long ago. We live in 2023. How can that be relevant? It's culturally ridiculous for us to go and and, and believe in that foolishness. And we disobey. And we devalue. And we don't hear it. And when we hear it, we discount it. And we say, oh, we've come so far, haven't we? Look at us. That's the start. It's disobedience. And what about building a tower to heaven? What's wrong with that? Well... If you look on the internets, you guys heard of the internets? The kids are all talking about it these days, I guess. I don't know. If you can find pictures of structures in this area that look like the description of the Tower of Babel, they have a name. They're called ziggurat, ziggurat. And, and they were built of brick. There's about 25 that archaeologists have discovered in this area. And they're built of brick. They're solid. They don't have any rooms in them. And they reach way up. 
And their main architectural feature is a stairway. So there's no rooms in it. It's just a stairway going up. And then you ask, okay, that's what it looks like. What did it do? What was the function when these people built all these things? Why? What was the function for this stairway? Well, thankfully, some of the names of them have survived, and archaeologists know what the names were. And from the name, we get an idea of what the function is. So, for example, there's one in a little uh, a city called Larsa. The name of that ziggurat is, get this, the house of the link between heaven and earth. Ah. The one in Sipar, the temple of the stairway to the pure heaven. Stairway to heaven. Have I heard that before? There's something that rings a bell there. Stairway to heaven. The one at Babylon. The ziggurat at Babylon. The, how, the name of it. The house with the foundation of heaven and earth. And the name Babylon means gate of God. You get the picture. You get the idea. They, this ziggurat with this stairway was a link between heaven and earth. That's what they thought it was. It was a portal to connect the two. Now, many of us, when we think of that, when we read about that, and many Bible scholars say, oh, what they were doing, they were trying to get up to heaven. They were trying to reach heaven by their own efforts, by their own works. And you know what? There's some truth in that, that the old song, Stairway to Heaven, uh, she, the lady wanted to, to buy her way into heaven. And we all know we can't do that. But it really, the function was not to get up to heaven. No, no, no. The function was for the God to descend from heaven. And at the bottom was this thing called a city, and there was a temple. And what these people of that day wanted to do was have this portal where God would be free to come down and make his home in the temple so that they could control the God. Now, understand this. In those days, the gods were very unpredictable. You can read the literature. They were very unpredictable. And they thought, if they can get God down in this temple, down this stairway, into this temple, we can give offerings, we can give sacrifices, we can control him. We can make him do what we want him to do. We can define him, we can limit him, we can put him in a bottle and he's a genie. And we rub the genie and then he comes out. That was the cigarette. What do we do today? We begin and we start the path. We question God's word. We, we disobey God's word. And then all of a sudden, we look at the God of the Bible and say, that's not the God I want. And we start taking chunks of the Bible out. We start redefining the Bible. We start saying, I want to define the God that I worship. There's certain things I won't listen to. I want him to be a certain way. I want to rub the bottle and have him give all the good things to me. I want to be master of the genie. 
And so what happens? We read through Genesis 1 to 11. We see that boundaries are crossed one after another. And it's corruption. It's decay. It gets worse and worse. It starts with disobeying God. It starts with the boundary of, of eating the fruit. It starts with the boundary of marriage. The marriage boundary is crossed. Violence within the family it starts. Every single boundary is crossed. And man is finally fully and utterly corrupted. And God says, I've got to wipe him out with a flood. And after the flood, it's not much better. Man is utterly and totally corrupted. What's left to corrupt? That's why the Tower of Babel is at the end of this section. Because now God says, I can't, man says, I can't corrupt myself anymore. There's one thing I can corrupt. I can corrupt God. And I can bring him down to my level. And I can degrade him. I can put him in a box. And I can control him. That's the story of the Tower. And then, what happens? We want to make a name for ourselves. The third problem. Pride comes in. I want to make a name. I want renown. I want to be known. (sighs) What a mess. When you want to make a name for yourself, there's three things that come to mind. I want everybody to know my name. Obviously, if I make a name, I want everybody to know it. I want to be famous. <laughs> I want to be famous, don't, don't I? And then, if I want to make a name for myself, I want to be identified by my works. I want people to say, look at what this guy has done. Whether it's a sports figure, whether it's a singer, whether it's an an actor, whether it's an engineer, you want to make a name. You want to be known by what you've accomplished by your works. And the third thing you want to do is you want to be remembered. You want a legacy. You want people to remember from generation. You want your name to be remembered forever. You want to live forever, don't you? Because of what you've done and what you've accomplished. Those three things. All right, keep all that in mind. Don't forget any detail. A couple of comments at the end here to close things up. Number one, we see that sin is progressive. It's progressive from Genesis 1, well, Genesis 3, really, to 11. It works its way. It begins with questioning God's word. Then there's disobedience. We see violence, we see anger, we see crossing of boundaries. Again and again, we see crossing of sexual boundaries that come out in these stories. And it all goes back to Eden. It all goes back to to chapter 3, where the enemy does his very best to corrupt the man and the woman. Do you ever wonder why we're so preoccupied with sex in this world today? I mean, sex and gender just take over everything now. Everybody is defined by how they define themselves. It's absolutely out of control, and I've never in my life seen such confusion and disorder. 
Christian friends, in this day of chaos and disorder over gender and sexuality, stay firm in the Word of God. Stay firm. God created man and woman. He created male and female. Anything other than that is deconstruction and disorder and confusion. He created marriage to be between a man and a woman, not a man and two women, not a man and another man, not a woman and a woman. What boundaries are left? They say the last boundary is, is, is pedophiles. Two states in our country are now bringing legislation to, to rename pedophiles to something less offensive. Every boundary. Stay firm. Stay clear. Okay, now the Tower of Babel. When we read it, it's all about work, isn't it? We're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. It's all about work. That's really the message of the Tower of Babel. It's all about work. We're created to work. We are created to work, to have purpose, and to work. But like everything else, we corrupt it. We ruin it. And I'm talking about us today, you and I. I'm bringing it up to 2023. We work with wrong motives. First off, we, we, we get our identity from our work. So I, I remember I retired in 2020. In 2020. 37 years as an aerospace engineer. I was engineer Eric for 37 years. And I honestly worried that when I got done work, that I would be lost, that I would lose my identity. So many of us do. Several guys I retired with went back within six months. They couldn't function. They had no identity left. But I do have an identity. I have my primary identity. I'm not engineer Eric. (laughs) I'm Eric, the child of God. (laughs) That's who I am. That's who you are. Don't forget that. Don't let work define you. You see, we, we get our prestige from work. We get our power from work. We pour ourselves into work. We sacrifice our families and children at the idol of work. And where does it get us? Two places. If we're successful at work, It goes to our head, and we're prideful. If we fail at work, if it doesn't work out, it goes to our heart, and we're devastated. We can't function. We don't know who we are. What's the solution? John Coltrane. Anybody ever heard of John Coltrane? John Coltrane was one of the most famous jazz saxophonist that ever lived. If you look into musicology at all, and you look at jazz, John Coltrane's name rises to the top. He was an innovator. He was a master of his craft. He changed the world with his saxophone. In 1964, uh, John released an album. Anybody alive in 64 other than me here? A couple of you? 
That young lady right there, I know you weren't. 1964, he he released an album called A Love Supreme. A Love Supreme. And it took the world by storm. Critics said there was nothing like it. Everybody loved it. Love Supreme. And if you read the liner notes, 1964, it was in stone, I guess. They pounded it in stone. Listen, here's what John Coltrane said. Dear listener, all praise be to God, to whom all praise is due. Let us pursue him in the righteous path. Yes, it is true, Coltrane writes. Seek and ye shall find. Only through him can we know the most wondrous bequeathal. And the bequeathal was the love of Jesus. But he goes on. He says this. John Coltrane says this. During the year 1957... I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and the privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. You see, John Coltrane figured it out. He knew that if he did it for himself, it would be hollow and empty. And he had an encounter with God. And it changed his life. It changed his music. It changed his work. He realized he had to give it everything to God. He had to do it for God. You and I, brothers and sisters... We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for us to do. We work for him. We make a name for him. That's what we do. We have to have the right attitude about work. We're created to do it. Do it in the right way. Do it for Jesus. Do it for God. The curse Two more points that I'm done. The curse of Babel has been reversed. How? Where? Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Remember what happened. Remember what these guys wanted to do? They wanted God to come down. Acts chapter 2, God did come down. In the person of the Holy Spirit, he came down, he indwelt the believers. And what happened? One of the things is they spoke in tongues. People heard them in, other, in their own languages talking about the mighty works of God. The curse of Babel was reversed. And they had power and they had authority. And Peter stands up with the other 11 and he says, Men and women, hear me. And he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. God said way back then, there'll be nothing that they won't be able to do. Now with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that we won't be able to do. We have all power and authority to go into the far corners of the earth to preach the gospel of Jesus. The tower has been reversed. God has come down and empowered us, and nothing can stop us, can it? Last point. Last point. I want to tell you about this name thing. They wanted to make a name. Remember I said there's three things associated with making a name. 
I want to be famous. I want my name to live forever. I want to be known by my work. There's three verses in the New Testament that address all three. Verse number one, Revelation 2. So Revelation 2 and 3, this is Jesus sending letters, seven letters to seven churches. 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now get this, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one that receives it. Now, back in that day, if you were in a courtroom and you were on trial and you were given a black stone, you were going to die. <laughs> but if you were given a white stone, that meant life. Jesus says, I am going to give you a white stone and not just a white stone. You want to be famous? I tell you what, I got something better for you. I'm going to give you a name that's between you and I. It's our name. It's a special name. Nobody else is going to know it. Do you have a pet name for your spouse? Do you have a pet name for your kids? It's intimacy. You see, that's who God is. He says, you want to make a name and you want to be famous? I have something better. The people that are famous, after a while, they don't want to be famous anymore. They hate it. It's an awful life. God says, okay, I got something better for you. I'm going to give you a special name just you and I know. Because I love you. And I care for you. And I've given you life. And that stone, you're going to have a new special name on it. Okay, next. Revelation 3.5, another one of the letters. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now, this is Jesus. You want your name to live forever? Jesus says, you are going to live forever. Your name is never going to be blotted out of the name of the book of life. And I will confess your name to the Father and his angels. See, you belong to me. You want immortality? It's life in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you're associated with me, I'll never blot your name out. And I'll confess. That one right there, Jesus says, that one belongs to me, to the Father and to the angels. Immortality. And finally, the last one, 3.12, Revelation 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Forget the Tower of Babel. You're going to be a pillar, immovable, strong in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my new name. I don't know where there's room to write it all. 
But Jesus says, there's going to be three things written on you. You want identity? You want to be remembered for your works? You want to be identified? No, you're going to be identified by my works, by what I did and who I am. I will write on him the name of my God. I will write the city of my God. You wanted to build a city? Man, I got a city for you. It's coming down out of heaven. It's New Jerusalem. I'm going to write that name. You have place. You have passage. You're going to be there. You're going to be, you're going to be a pillar. God's name is going to be upon you. The name of the city. And my new name. Jesus is talking. My new name. You're going to get my new name on you. What name? You see, Jesus, he came down from heaven. And he said, a body you have prepared for me. And he walked this earth in all its decay and all its corruption. And he allowed his own creation to nail him to a cross. And there, where he hung between heaven and earth, he took upon himself our sins. He died the death that we deserved so that we might live with him forever. And God says he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And God has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess That's who our God is. Do you know that? We read the Tower of Babel and it's like, oh, what a mess. And then we read the end of the story and we can't help but fall down on our knees like John Coltrane and say, oh, glory be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can read these verses. We pray that we would leave this place singing the name of Jesus. Father, help us not to let work dominate our lives. Help us to have the right attitude. Help us to be obedient, Father. Thank you for these scriptures. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.